0: Welcome to the StoryCraft Cafe podcast. Today, we welcome YA mystery writer Karen McManus. If you are not familiar with her books, you might have seen One of Us is Lying on the Peacock Network, an adaptation of her first book. In this episode, we talk about Karen's time spent trying to find her niche in publishing, how she stays relevant with her demographic, how she goes about writing mysteries, and so much more. As always, thanks for listening. Well, welcome in. Uh, Today, we have author Karen McManus with us to talk about her brand new book, Uh, Nothing More to Tell. This is a fantastic book. If you have read um, any of uh, Karen's uh, books in the past, or if you happen to catch uh, the series that uh, released uh, just several months ago on Peacock, uh, one of us is lying. that that was fantastic, by the way, Karen how how has how has that um, show affected you know your career and and everything that you've got going on? Oh, I'm so glad you
1: enjoyed it. Um you know, it's always exciting when a book makes it to screen because, the adaptation process is fraught and a lot of great <laughs> books that are very beloved, um, you know, are optioned and it just doesn't go anywhere for reasons yeah. that have nothing to do with the book and and not always even anything to do with the, the people involved. It's just very hard to bring these projects together, um, but this one made it through. Um, like one of us is lying the book, it was a unicorn. Um, that book continues to surprise me and it's wonderful because um, the show brings it to a, an all-new audience
0: um, the show was either eight or ten episodes I can't remember
1: it was eight
0: eight okay um how you know when you when you write a book you're not thinking of breaking the book into eight episodes you're, <laughs> no. you're thinking one consistent arc you know the, with sub arcs under there and you know character stories that that all kind of piece in there what was it like watching your book? Um, you know, kind of chopped into sections.
1: Well, it was interesting because um, there were some things that they pulled directly from the book, and that was really fun to watch. You know, certain scenes that were almost just like I wrote them. But television is a different medium, um, right. film is a different medium, and you either need to compress the book for a movie or stretch it for a TV show. And so they added a lot of subplots that were not in my book to you know create those cliffhanger endings that would go along for eight episodes
0: does does having your work translated like that does that um ever give you ideas for oh, okay now that we've done this maybe in the future i could come kind of spin off of that does, does the does the creative process work like that you know i, I know that you're your book is the springboard for the series, but does it work the other way around as well?
1: Um, it hasn't yet. You know, um, they did make some changes to the book or to the show that, you know, really took the show down a different path from my books. And so at the same time, I was thinking of my own continuation of the story, which is the book. One of us is back. That's coming out in 2023. So it was actually You know, it's a little bit creatively surreal to have two very separate story universes taking off from one another, starting in the same place, but going in very different directions.
0: That's awesome. Um, When we first talked several years ago now, at this point, when when one of us is lying was first coming out, um, that was your first published book, but that was not the first book that you had written, right?
1: Right. I had written two books previously, and one was kind of a dystopian, um, almost a knockoff of The Hunger Games because that's what I was inspired by, and one was a contemporary fantasy. So I was all over the place. I didn't really know what kind of writer I wanted to be i was learning the craft as i wrote because i had never taken a creative writing class i just knew i liked to write it was something i'd done as a child and then i got re-inspired when i read the hunger games and it kind of awakened this creative force that had been dormant for a really long time um so i wrote those two books tried to query them to get an agent got nowhere but learned a lot in the process
0: You know, what's really funny is writing is one of those crafts that you can spend months and months of your life, sometimes years and years of your life working on a thing. And then when you have that thing fully complete and then it doesn't sell or, you know, it it doesn't find a place in the market, you just scrub it and just go start over all over again. There are very few art forms that have that much Involvement with the artist that if it doesn't work out, you just scrub it and start over with something new that that has always fascinated me. The um, the ability to just receive rejection like that and just just start over and just do it again. What what is that? What's that feeling like for you when you know yeah. that moment of rejection or moments of rejection and then just the the, the decision to just start all over?
1: i think i have a couple of advantages in that regard and one is that i write fast i can't imagine what it would be like to spend years on a book and put you pour your heart and soul into it in that amount of time and have to put it on a shelf i think that would be hard i tend to write my drafts in a couple of months and when i first started querying i didn't really know enough to spend time revising them so this was a very quick you know, quick and dirty, put it out there, get rejected, put it on the shelf. And I've, I was able to be somewhat ruthless about that. I'm not someone who likes to spin wheels. And so even though I felt attached to the books at the time, as soon as it became clear to me that I hadn't hit it, uh, that they probably weren't gonna go where I wanted them to go. And even if they did, maybe they weren't good enough for the kind of impact I wanted to have. I was okay with, with moving on.
0: From from that uh, first dystopian book uh, and then the YA fantasy and then landing in this really unique subgenre that you have landed in now of YA mysteries, um, but mostly set around um, school kids and, and these institutions and the the whole politics and everything that inhabits these institutions did. When you started the third book that would become your breakout book. Did you have any sense that you had hit on something special or something that would resonate with so many people
1: i mean i kind of did you know never i did not i didn't i mean i certainly didn't expect all of this that is way beyond my imagination but as soon as i got the idea and the character started to take shape in my head it just felt special it really did and i sent some chapters to my my beta readers, and I'd never gotten such a response from them. They were just desperate to read more. And every single time I sent more, they dropped everything and they read it. And that was different from what I had done before. And when I queried it, it was different. I got an instant response. My agent sold it instantly. And so it all felt like there's something about this book that people are responding to. And I had such a brilliant editor and she really helped me work through the book and take it to the next level and i remember when i finished my developmental edits i was sitting with my sister like a bonfire type thing a family thing and i said to her i think this could be something special and then i immediately walked it back because like we don't do that in my family we don't toot our own horn i was like that it probably won't be but i i did feel like there was something there the thing is you just don't know when you put it out in the world if anybody else is going to see that
0: your books are very character-driven, and you your dialogue is very snappy, and um, your your dialogue has a way of conveying character, if, if that makes sense at all. Like that, um, your, your your dialogue is is very prominent. Um, was the, your first two books that didn't get published? Um, did you? did you have that same sort of element uh, to it or was that something that developed with, with that first book that, that you did?
1: Yeah. Get? No, I appreciate you saying that because uh, dialogue is my favorite thing. Yeah. And I do think that shows. is probably what comes most naturally to me. And my first couple books do have some, some fun, snappy conversations and they have great characters. I've actually plucked Occasionally, from them and put them into other books. What they did not have was um, a plot that made sense, <laughs> and um, the setting has always been something. It's it's my weakest point, I think, and I've I've learned how to build it over time. But in those first couple books, it was just really lacking. But I felt like the characters and the dialogue they were there and that was kind of the response i would get from the agents who bothered to respond to me you know cuz a lot of them don't they're just too busy for that you know they would say great characters but i i don't know how to sell this book and you know there's other elements that aren't working
0: from from your first book one of us is lying to the the follow up one of us is next um at what point did you feel like that that you had um found your niche and almost pioneered a niche in a lot of ways.
1: I think that it was probably um, with the second book. Um, And the second book was really hard. That was Two Can Keep a Secret. It was a standalone book. And because I was still figuring myself out as a writer, after I had sold One of Us is Lying, I was writing a different book. It was a contemporary romance. So again, a totally different genre. (laughs) But I talked to my agent and my editor, and we all agreed that that was just sort of too different From my debut and when you only have one book in the world and then you put another totally different book into the world you know maybe you're making it a little harder on yourself to um, you know to grow an audience so i went back to the drawing board and thought up this other mystery and it was challenging i struggled a lot i was in my head a lot worrying that people would compare it to one of us is lying and they'd be disappointed or it would be too similar or too different and I was able to work through that. And when I finished, I thought, oh, OK, this actually fits with One of Us is Lying, but it is different. It's got the mystery. It's got the multiple points of view. It's got sort of that mix of light and dark and the humor and a little bit of romance and a lot of twists. And so this, as it turns out, is something I really like to do. And I think that my readers like it, too.
0: When. Uh... One thing that, that's interesting is that most writers um, love to read in multiple genres. Like I, I wouldn't um, see yeah. you as someone that only reads in YA mystery. Um,
1: definitely not.
0: And and you've written in numerous uh, genres. Uh, so we all have these varied interests, but um, it, it definitely is to your advantage to find a a genre, a niche and stay there and build your audience and then, you know, keep getting giving things to that audience that that they like. I mean, that just makes business sense, you know, put art aside. That's that's the reality of the business of writing. Um, But a great writer will take things from other genres and bring them into her genre. Um, So if you're talking about contemporary romance, what things can I poach from contemporary romance and bring it to YA mysteries. Do you think like that about, you know, the, the things that from other genres that that make those things great? Can I bring them in here and kind of broaden this genre or deepen it?
1: Yeah, I think part of what made One of Us is Lying kind of refreshing is that. I approached it first as a contemporary novel, and that's in my mind, that's what I was writing initially. That's what I was interested in was these four characters and what happens to them emotionally after they go through this traumatic experience and these secrets they've been so desperate to hide are out in the world. What's that experience like? And it actually took me a little while working through the draft to fully comprehend that I was writing a mystery um, and to sort of go back and layer in a few things um but so there's that contemporary aspect and, th- and then there was also the romantic aspect you know i mean i used to love murder mysteries as a kid but i always i loved romance too and i never felt like they were brought together enough for my liking so that was something that i wanted to do i wanted the relationships to be as important as the plot
0: and, and do you think that ultimately enhances the plot, gives gives readers more buy-in when they're able to feel more connected to that character because these are real emotions that we're talking about?
1: I hope so. You know, what I try to do is link the growth of the characters and the growth of their relationship to one another to the unraveling of the mystery. So they really can't get to that satisfying resolution until they've worked through their issues with themselves and with each other.
0: You talked about plot uh, a minute ago and, um, you know, said that one of the problems with those early books is is they didn't have a believable plot Um, because your, your books are so character driven. How do you think about plot and does the, is the plot an outgrowth of the characters and, and something that they may deal with or do you think of the plot and then cast that plot with characters
1: yeah the the way it, it seems to work best for me or the way my mind works is i tend to start with a hook and with one of us is lying it was the breakfast club with murder you know i was driving right. to work i heard the theme song i thought what would happen if one of those kids didn't walk out of detention but that's not really a plot you know it's it, it is it's a hook so yeah then I started thinking, well, who would be in the room? And I cast the characters in my brain. And then I thought, okay, but why are they there and what happened? So it seems to go like spark of an idea that could go in a lot of different directions, then characters, then really digging into an actual plot.
0: Um, YA is, is one of those interesting genres where um, you, You think that, well, I'll write this story and I'll have young characters and therefore it will resonate with a young audience. And then, you know, uh, people will pick up the book and say, oh, this is terrible. She doesn't know anything about people going through this stage of life. Um, How do you maintain relevancy with this group of characters that you're writing about so that, you know, it can be universally accepted while not. You know, looking like a mom is writing you white know, <laughs> mysteries,
1: <laughs> which she is. I mean, let's she is. But, um, you know. but I feel like that time of life has always been really accessible to me. Um, that that moment when you're figuring out your place in the world, trying to define yourself, deciding what parts of your upbringing you're going to keep, what do you want to change. What do you think about the world and your place in it? I'm not sure I've ever fully left that 17 year old (laughs) mindset. So it's always there underneath the surface. But also I really enjoy young people and I've always been surrounded by them. I mean, now I'm really surrounded by them because my son is 16, my nieces are 17. Um, The little kids who were surrounding me when I started writing are now my target audience, which is strange, but even before then I'm in, close-knit urban neighborhood. I've always been surrounded by lots of teens and I listen to them and I enjoy their company. Um, What I try to do is is get the voice right without relying too much on really current slang or really current technology that will date the book quickly.
0: And and I think that's a a downfall for a lot of YA books is is people will try try to be relevant in the moment with Things that are going to change, and you're just and it changes so fast, up. yeah. That's you, yeah. It, if you start talking about the particular model of the iPhone and things like that, two or three years from now, that's not going to age very well,
1: yeah. And in some ways, it's okay, you know, if you're writing a contemporary novel, you are writing in a, a slice of time. And there's always gonna be another contemporary novel coming up behind you that's gonna be more timely and more relevant. And that's just sort of the nature of things. But I do try to, you know, only add those kind of like, you know, time sensitive elements when you really need them, when it feels really important to the plot or to the character to be specific.
0: Yeah. um, Your book, The Cousins that came out, uh, was it a couple of years ago now? Um, yes is uh is an interesting book in your catalog in that it um uh it, it stays with this um age group and this uh this um topic of characters um while kind of branching out from the the schoolhouse mystery you know sort yeah. of genre um and I thought it was a, a a fascinating book um what what was your your thinking in kind of branching out Uh, Kind of taking the 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 area that you had established, but kind of pushing the boundaries out a little bit.
1: You know, it wasn't necessarily something I set out to do until the idea was fully formed. And that, again, started with um, sort of a hooky idea when I was reading a magazine article about the Kennedy grandchildren. And a lot of them were doing really interesting things and like politics and entertainment and art. And I thought, I wonder what it would be like to have a name that opens so many doors. And then I thought, I wonder what it would be like if you had that and then you lost it and you didn't know why, and then you had a chance to get it back. And that started spinning me into this story family. And when I started digging into what the story would be about, it was very family oriented um and it was important to the story that these three cousins who are the protagonists don't know one another initially their family's very estranged they come together for this summer visit and so i felt like a to be in a schoolroom setting it doesn't make sense because they're spread all across the country but b it would just be distracting to the heart of the story which is this family coming back together
0: gotcha um y- you have written um two and a half books in the one of us is lying series one of us is lying one of us is next and then as you said earlier um one of us is back is coming out next year and then four standalone books um when you're writing um do you know from the very beginning that this is going to be a standalone book or maybe this has series potential or um when you're writing a standalone book do you just determined from the beginning that this one uh, I'll tell this story and and that's going to be it for these characters.
1: I write them all as standalones. That's just how my brain works. I never intended to keep writing with one of us is lying. But it was one of those books that people kept asking for more to the point where I thought, okay, what would more look like? And it really started to an idea started to take off, I think, particularly because the character of Maeve, who is a sister of when a main character in One of Us is Lying, I'd always wanted to spend more time with her. And I started getting really interested in what Maeve's story would be. But even when I finished that book, I thought, OK, that's it. We're good. Um, And then an idea started coming to me for another book, and I thought I really shot myself in the foot here because there's all kinds of things I put into one of us's back, but or one of us's neck. That I now need to work around because I want this book to happen right after it, and I I made that hard on myself. So I wish I thought in series (laughs) my life would be easier, but um, you know, I because I tend to get so hooked into an idea and so almost obsessed by it, it I can't. Think about stretching it, you know. I think about completing it and telling that story. Um, but as it happens, the Bayview universe, you know, really had some some legs, and I was able right. to keep going there. And I like ambiguous endings. I think most of my stories, you could figure out. Maybe I'll spin something further on this. But so far, I've I've always had another idea I wanted to turn to first.
0: That that's always a challenge that that I see a lot of writers struggle with is uh, having an ambiguous ending that could continue or not, um, as opposed to people that that there will obviously be a next chapter in this book and it's almost a cliffhanger or a a too abrupt stop uh, at the end of the book. How do you handle that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I hope that I've given everyone enough answers to be satisfied and that what is open is not necessarily the big question they've been moving toward um you know it's maybe another side question and i hope that they know at this point the characters well enough that they can almost fill in the blanks as to what might happen next if i don't ever fill in those blanks
0: (laughs) your books are so intricately plotted or at least they read that way Um, do you consider yourself a, a plotter or a pantser
1: I'm definitely a plotter now, but I'm a reformed panther because One of Us Is Lying was a, I called a bolt of lightning book. I wrote it really fast and I did not really outline or plan that much. I just kind of let it go. But Two Can Keep a Secret was not that kind of book. And it, um, because it was so difficult, it really made me rethink my process and realize that I don't always know what stress test it, Um, brainstorming at least uh, even though I know it's going to change. And I also use beat sheets to help me with the pacing and the big moments, because those are things that I struggled with in that second book. Um, And all that takes time, that and then the character work that I do. So now at this point, it's usually a couple months of that outlining and character work, and then two to three months just trying to bang out that first draft before I have something to share with my agent.
0: When you you have these big beats in mind, uh, do you ever find yourself writing out of order like uh, like I know how this scene is going to go? Let me go write that and then I'll figure out how to shoehorn it in you know, during the editing process.
1: I don't I am I am very much a linear thinker. I cannot write that way. But what I do, you know, is that sometimes I am very excited about a scene like I know it's coming. And there are some scenes that you almost wrote the whole book because you want to write that scene. Right. And so it's like my reward to myself, my promise to myself, if you get through this part, that's not working that well, <laughs> remember you got this scene that you were dying to write. That's coming up later.
0: I talked with Diana Gabaldon uh, one time and she was talking about writing the Outlander books. And she said, well, some days I'll just, I'll have a scene that I want to write and I just go write that and then I'll just have that in a, in a file and I'll figure out where it plugs in later. And that just, that made, that made me almost go into panic. mode. That, <laughs> it just That feels so wrong, you know, but it obviously works for her.
1: Absolutely. We've all got our processes. I mean, one thing I do do sometimes is when I, when I'm starting a chapter, sometimes I kind of know, big moments in the chapter that i want and they're in my head and sometimes i'll you know i always have i just write words at the beginning of the chapter literally words as a placeholder and then i'll go down and i'll go ahead and write like that dialogue just so i don't lose it it's almost always dialogue um and then i'll go back and you know do the less exciting work of setting up the chapter and getting myself ready for the more like emotional exciting moments to come
0: Do you feel like that uh, that dialogue comes easier to you? And then do you find yourself then going back and filling in, okay, what does the reader need to know around this dialogue? Like literally where are they standing when they're saying things like that?
1: Sometimes, you know, the first draft of a chapter reads like a screenplay. (laughs) It's just people talking to each other. Um, And then I do have to go back and build in uh you know tags for their dialogue what are they doing what are they thinking um transitions transitions are my nemesis i hate them i i just want people to be doing one interesting thing and then they do another interesting thing and i don't have to explain (laughs) to you how they got there (laughs) but it's it's not a smooth reading experience to actually write like that so i have learned to build them in even before it goes to my editor, because that was her number one issue with one of us is lying. It was just scene after scene of choppy, you know, I mean, it was great stuff, but then chop, chop, we're doing something different. Yeah.
0: Um, What is your editing process like? So you, you do your outlining, then you spend a couple or three months working on that first draft. Do you then put it away for a few days, a few weeks to let your brain air out and then come back to it or, what's your process for then you know attacking it for that second third you know revision draft
1: yeah what i usually do is as i write i tend to keep a running list of things that are bothering me for some reason if they're too big to fix right then and there you know small things i'll deal with in the draft but if i'm thinking thematically um you know this character arc is is a little bit weak at the beginning or you know the, the mystery of this red herring needs to pop up more frequently i'll just make a note of that off to the side and so when i finish i do take a couple days i just don't look at it and then i look through that list and i start chunking out you know what's what's easy to fix and i'll do that first what's harder to fix and maybe requires rethinking of some big elements and if i feel like i can tackle that list on my own i will do it on my own and if i feel like there's a a couple different ways I could go and I'm not sure at that point, I'll share the draft with my agent who's really collaborative, really editorial and can help me brainstorm.
0: Gotcha. Let's talk about your new book, Nothing More to Tell. Uh, This releases uh, everywhere tomorrow. Is that right? Tuesday?
1: August 30th.
0: August 30th. Um, Who do we meet in this book?
1: So it's a dual point of view and the protagonists are Bryn Gallagher and Trip Talbot. Bryn is a teen journalist who moved away from her hometown of Sturgis, Massachusetts when she was 13 years old. And she's been living in Chicago. Life's been going pretty well for her until recently. She's a teen journalist who was embarrassed by a viral prank at her last school She's also been waitlisted at her dream college, and she recently learned that she needs to move back to Sturgis for her father's job. So this is in the middle of her senior year. She has to go back to this school um, Mm. that she left under very difficult circumstances because she left right after her favorite teacher was found murdered behind the school. And his body was found by three of her classmates, one of whom is Tripp, our other protagonist. And Brennan Tripp used to be great friends, until he cut her off in a very cruel and to her incomprehensible fashion right before Mr. Larkin died. And in the years since, Tripp has sort of ascended the school social ladder. He and the other two kids who he found the body with kind of ruled the school. Um, but Tripp is desperate to just get out of Sturg life. He's racked with all kinds of guilt that he won't tell us about. Um, you know, it's not a spoiler to say that Trip was lying about everything. He told the police when um, when he and the other two kids found the body. Um, but we, as the reader, don't know what he's lying about. He's very opaque in his thoughts. So Brynn is trying to kind of um, you know get her good name back with a new internship that she's applied for with a true crime show, and so she pitches the murder of her teacher, Mr. Larkin. Um, so she goes into investigative mode at the same time getting closer again to Tripp, who doesn't know what she's doing until he does. <laughs> so there's, there's a complicated relationship between the two of them. There's a complicated relationship between Bryn's memory of her teacher, Mr. Larkin, um, which is you know, sort of dreamy and he was this mentor who she adored and who he actually is, which is you know, we learn a little bit more as time goes on. Um, and just the push and pull of what Trip isn't telling Brynn or anybody else and what that means ultimately for the mystery.
0: When you start working on a new book, um, you mentioned earlier that that hook that's that's different from a plot, but you need a good hook to start, you know, kind of forming a plot around that. Do, do you do you start with a hook like, um, you know, what if? You know we we have an uh an ostracized person who has to come back to the place that that caused them all this consternation and there's also a teacher who was murdered and then hilarity ensues um you know do do you think in in terms like that
1: this book was interesting it was a little bit different because it was kind of like i pulled together two things that have been interesting me for a while And one was the teacher angle? One of my favorite books in the world is The Secret History by Donna Tartt. And I love the character of Julian Morrow. He is this very charismatic, charming professor of Greek studies at this small fictional college. And he only takes on five students. and they become embroiled in a murder mystery. And I was always fascinated by the character of Julian and the way that his students revered him so much that they couldn't really see him as a person who has flaws like anybody else. And so I always wanted to write a story featuring a teacher like that. And given the kind of stories that I write, he was probably going to get murdered. And and I thought, what would that be like for a student to care about a teacher so much and and to be faced with with something so so terrible. A- at the same time, you know, readers had always been asking me for a sequel to Two Can Keep a Secret, which I have not written and probably will not write because I don't want to undo that ending. But yeah. I had been thinking, well what would that look like? And I was just brainstorming ideas and I thought it might be um, the main character's brother who wanted to be a DJ. And he's at this radio station where there's a true crime podcast. It was way too convoluted. But I got the idea for this cold case. And I cannot say <laughs> what the spark was, because it's a complete spoiler. Um, it's what happens. Um, but I thought, that could be good. And then I thought, and if it was this you know, magical teacher who the students worship, it would be even better. So those two came together with and nothing more to tell
0: when when you're writing a book and you've mm-hmm. you've got it all plotted out and you've got your your uh tentpole moments that you're writing to uh, your beats um in the writing does the story ever change did you ever come up with a brilliant idea that, oh this is would be so much better and then it takes a massive left turn
1: yeah um in fact this book it it was really interesting because i do so much character work like i said um and when i and i outline and so i thought i was all ready to write this book it felt very solid to me and then i was maybe six chapters in and i just knew it was not working it just there was no energy there was no propulsion like i was bored i thought oh god if i'm bored no one else is gonna want to read this but i didn't know what was wrong because i felt like the mystery was really good and so i had this like frenzied weekend where i just tried all kinds of different things like write it in a, from a different place, like, change the setting, do this. And I finally ended up changing the main characters. And that was the problem. I had two completely different main characters from the main characters I have now. And they had no chemistry with each other or with anybody else, they were just wrong. And I remember writing that first chapter from Bryn's point of view, you know, the new protagonist. And it was just like this click and this relief that, okay, 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 that's the problem. Um, and then I wrote Trip's Perspective, and that was even better. That was when I felt like, yep, okay, I fixed it. <laughs> and then it was just a question of getting it down.
0: Isn't it funny how fictional characters, characters that are completely made up and only exist in your head at the time of writing, can have chemistry yeah. as opposed to other Totally fictional characters that don't exist except inside your head <laughs> don't have chemistry or, or do have chemistry. Right. And, You're
1: like, and what's going on here? I made you. I should be able to make you click with one right. another.
0: And sometimes and they fact, just don't.
1: They don't. And I'm actually writing another book now, which uh, I hope will be my eighth book. And it was it was not quite that extreme, but there was a character who I thought would have a relationship with one person. Um, but but they're introduced on the page, meeting a different person. And I was like, look at you two. You, no, you two are the ones. Okay, I got to rethink everything because you guys really like each other. And I'm not going to fight that.
0: Um, having uh, a character who is uh, a, a journalist uh, and then having the the vehicle of the true crime podcast, Um, What does that offer you as a writer to to bring in elements to the story that might be difficult to tell otherwise?
1: you know, it's kind of a relief in a lot of ways because it gives Bryn tools that my protagonists Mm -hmm. often do not have. It is tricky (laughs) to constantly be writing these teen detectives who do not have, you know, an investigative background, who do not have access to information that a professional would and somehow figure out a way for them to get it. So it was nice to have that built in to this show and to give Bryn opportunities to, you know, to to be able to ask her producer or the host of the show for information. And they were able to get that. And it wasn't always her sneaking in somewhere or, you know, somehow fooling somebody into tricking someone into giving her what she wants. Although she does that, too. Um, The other thing that was great about the backdrop is it gave me the opportunity to plant Easter eggs about my previous books, because I've always felt like the books exist in the same universe where there was just a lot of crime being solved by teenagers. <laughs> and, and so because this is a true crime show that investigates the type of cases I write about, there's little mentions of all of my previous books. No spoilers. So if you haven't read them, you won't be spoiled. But if you have read them, I think it adds a little something extra.
0: It, it's definitely fan service of nothing else. Just the, yes. the I, I know that reference. You know, that's that's so much fun. and you know, I don't know why it just is. I just love it. You yeah. know, it's like, like I'm, I'm on the, I'm on the inside. I'm, I'm, I'm part of the click.
1: And if you don't know it, it's not going to spoil your reading because it's seamlessly into the setting. So right. that was why I felt I could do it. You know, I, I felt my, my regular readers will have fun with it and my new readers aren't going to feel like they're missing out.
0: You know, mystery is one of the most popular genres in in, in literature uh, now, and has been for you know over a hundred years. It's just one of these mainstays. It's just always at the top of the charts and always what people gravitate toward uh, to read. In, in a lot of cases, um, you know, with with such a rich history in a genre, do you ever struggle with with new things to happen and new ways to um you know develop mysteries and and the way they're solved
1: yeah it does feel like everything under the sun has been done right (laughs) um but i think that's okay i think um you know there are only so many stories in the world we're all telling the same version of the same basic stories over and over again um and what's different is how you execute it and the voice that you bring and the characters that you create. So even though there are a lot of books that focus on a cold case, none of them do it exactly like this one. But I definitely try not to read other thrillers while I'm drafting just because I don't want to unconsciously pull anything in that, you know, isn't already in my brain.
0: Right, right. Um, You mentioned that next year, one of us is back is coming out. Any idea what time next year?
1: Um, I think it'll be summer, but I do not have a release date yet. So maybe around the same time as now, maybe a little sooner.
0: Can you tell us anything about what happens in that, what, what the continuation of that story is?
1: Yeah. You know, what's kind of fun about this one is that the plot um is based on a plot thread that i actually pulled from the first book one of my first drafts of the first book after it had Mm -hmm. gone to my agent and it was a plot thread that explained the motivations of a certain character and my agent told me it was very distracting and she was right it was very distracting and it didn't fit with anything else and i said but then how are people going to know why this person did what they did and she's very smart and she said well you just have to make them that kind of person. <laughs> and that's what I did and it worked but it was always in the back of my mind and um I started thinking after I had turned in I forget which book it was might have been nothing more to tell but I was thinking about what's next and I was I had been thinking I, I just don't feel like I'm done with Bayview and I thought what if I what if I brought back that that's that story you know there's a lot to that story and what if i spun it out into its own story and at that point too it had been long enough time that i was out of my original four's brains, but i felt like i could return to a couple of them that i had enough to say from their perspective that it would be worth going back into their heads which is not something i have ever wanted to do before but this book is a mix of points of view from the first book and the second book so there's there's some original Bayview four and then there's some you know, new crew mixed in as well. So I hope that readers enjoy it. You know, For me, even though I didn't plan it like this from the beginning, it felt like I really have finally told the whole story, the whole story that was in my mind from the beginning.
0: Awesome. Uh, any news about the TV show? Will it continue? Is, it, is there any movement there?
1: Oh, it has been renewed for season two. Awesome. um it is you know heading in a totally different direction from my book so they're creating some brand new adventures for these characters um <laughs> but i think the new season is coming out this fall
0: excellent excellent we'll yeah. look for it well the new book nothing more to tell is uh, available everywhere on uh, august 30th if you go to amazon right now and order it it'll be delivered tomorrow i bet or go visit your local bookstore tomorrow and support local books um Karen, all of your books are also available in audio, which is you know, one of the, the biggest growth markets in publishing right now. How do you feel about hearing your books performed?
1: Oh, I love them. I love them. The narrators are always so good. Random House just does they do magic finding the right narrators for my books and the narrators always bring the book to life in the most beautiful way. So I haven't heard my latest book yet. I'm excited to hear it because the snippets I heard from the voice actors were tremendous. I love it.
0: Go grab uh, nothing more to tell now. Uh, Karen, if, if folks are just discovering you and want to dig into all the great stuff that you do, where can they find you online?
1: My website is KarenMcManus.com, and I am on Twitter and Instagram at WriterKMC.
0: Excellent. We'll link that up in the show notes. Karen, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: That's our episode for today. There's so much more to come as we talk with authors about the craft of writing, but also the business of publishing. Be sure to subscribe to the Storycraft Cafe podcast in your favorite podcast app to never miss an episode. The Storycraft Cafe is made possible by Dabble. Writing a book is challenging. Your writing tool shouldn't be. Dabble is an easy-to-use online writing tool packed with helpful features that allow beginning novelists and published authors to create amazing stories. Visit us at dabblewriter.com and start your free trial.